0: During this period of meditation practice, I'm going to offer guidance in forgiveness meditation. First, I'll just say a little bit more about these meditations we do in the afternoon. They're in a realm of uh, a category of meditations that are specifically to invite the heart to be open to let go of some of its pain or to heal some of its painful habits and patterns. It's not really thought that this is something you can do um, and have it happen automatically, that the heart is very much like uh, a flower in the spring that ripens as the weather gets warmer. And at some point, you can't stop the flower from blooming. But even a day before it blooms, it's not helpful to try to pull the petals open. So a lot of these meditations that we do begin to expose us to a way of thinking and begins an intentional invitation for our hearts to experiment being open, being a little more open than they might otherwise. And sometimes just with that that intention, the heart goes from Uh, sort of absent-minded and adrift, but given a little invitation and enjoys being open. And so that's an encouragement we can have for the heart. Sometimes it's just not the right time for our hearts to be all that open. So even though we can hear the intention of these meditations, and we can agree with them when we go actually into our hearts and our minds, we find that even though we patiently are encouraging our hearts to be open, they don't open that far, and if they open a little further, uh, actually what we encounter is the pain of why they're closed, or a steady sense of numbness, that our hearts are really um, protecting themselves with a pattern of being uh, shut down or not so available. And there's no big judgment on that. It's actually quite difficult to be human, people get overwhelmed a lot and in that time of being lost or confused, being overwhelmed, we say and do things that we later regret. And if you get too many of those uh, experiences, the heart starts to be protective, it starts to prefer being closed, and only wants to open under very safe circumstances. So what we end up practicing as we go through our days it's only open so far, but not further than that. And then only around our safe friends do we really allow our, our defenses down. So when we come into a meditation like this, it's never about trying to pry the heart open. And over time, we developed a, um, I have, and many other people who have practiced this for a while, develop more faith in the practice, giving it time, if the heart doesn't want to open, you don't pry it open, don't get frustrated. Actually, it's learning to respect the rhythms of your heart. And even flowers, when they bloom, don't stay open. At night they close, and that's appropriate. And then when there's sunlight again and the warmth, they open again, and then they close again. So no heart is meant to stay always open. And it's not an evaluation uh, of your heart if it doesn't want to open during these meditations or if it only opened so far or if it opened yesterday but today it's not opening. At some point you have to actually respect your own heart and we give these encouragements for it to be open, the support for it to be open. But there's just as much respect for how the heart is showing up so we don't get at all forceful of our heart. It doesn't help doesn't help our hearts feel safe enough to open. And then these practices that we do, you actually could do your, we do whole retreats just on these heart practices. They're called metta retreats or brahmavihara retreats, loving-kindness retreats, where people learn to patiently ask their hearts to be open with as many days as we've given just to being aware of our breath and our bodies. And again, that is just the beginning of a longer practice that generally strengthens the heart bit by bit so it knows how to stay open with wisdom, to not be too open and defenseless, and then receive a lot of pain. But there is a way of keeping our hearts open with wise reflections and healthy boundaries. Um, So it's a gentle process that we're inviting you into, nothing forceful. And we start with loving-kindness practice because it's sort of the most benevolent channel to step in where we're just generally, if I don't know you, if you're just an ordinary being, I wish you well. And I can do that. And then I can wish you well even if we're starting to argue. I can keep in the back of my mind. that I don't wish you harm, even if we're struggling some. So That tends to be the safest place to start, asking your heart to open and there's usually the least amount of resistance. But then we start getting into deeper emotional territory where there's some pain involved, and so if your heart is open, it will feel that pain. Or there are um, meditations where you're supposed to really appreciate the well-being of other people, and when the heart opens to that, sometimes it gets triggered into envy because it feels enough pain that when somebody else is really having a great experience. Rather than celebrating that, the heart can go into a sense of like, oh, that never happens to me. So it could even struggle over sharing joy. This particular meditation, the Forgiveness Meditation, um, is supported by wise reflections about uh, why would we want the heart to be open? Why would we want to forgive? And what is a healthy way to forgive? and what are some unhealthy ways to forgive. So I want to give a little orientation to that before we do the actual practice. I often wonder if my family is ever going to listen to these talks because they go up online. (laughs) So if you're hearing this, uh, please offer me forgiveness. (laughs) But I've learned a lot from my family about My family was not very good at forgiving. My family was very good at keeping score. And that's how people in my family defended themselves that if they ever were attacked, that they would have something to fight back with. And so there's this constant tallying of what you could use later on. So if anybody ever says, I can't believe you did that. Well, you do it too, and I've got the evidence. So you would get, rather than feeling the blast of somebody's anger, you could fight back immediately. And so I learned that strategy when I was growing up. And it was useful in my family, because people were kind of um, irresponsible with being triggered. They would sort of go quickly to blaming other people and not really take much time to look at themselves and why they got angry. And nobody in my family apologized a day later for having caused any harm. Just sort of, let's all move on because we're not good at this. So let's just pretend like it never happened and hope for the best, which usually meant it would happen again and again and again. So I began to learn later on um, when people outside my family Uh, who had learned about forgiveness and apology, how beautiful it was and how much it actually healed um, hard experiences. I learned that from friends in college and people much later in my life. And I learned I had to actually do some work to learn about forgiveness. And I would contend with these old family patterns of feeling remarkably um, defenseless that if I go to an apology, it's a time when I've made a mistake. And that's where someone could really drive in their anger. So then I would walk in very cautiously around apologies and pull my apology back if someone wasn't going to take it in or if they were going to use that moment to stick me a few times because they were angry. So I began to learn what a courageous act it was to be very humble, and walk in and recognize there are many layers to what happened around a particular event. But one of them is, I really am sorry for what I said. I really am sorry for what I did. And now that it's a day or two later or a month later, um, I have more perspective on what was happening. So it's not to excuse my behavior, but um, I'm really sorry that I did that. And I want you to know I'm learning. I'm, gonna, I'm going to up my awareness around those habits so that I don't hurt people in the future. When people actually were good at that, I noticed how much relief there would be in my relationship with them and how much I would sort of like a, a puppy kind of like go towards them. It's like, that's so safe. I never knew that. I never knew that people would actually want to apologize or were good at it. It was so healing. So I came into these meditation practices and I was welcome to practice forgiveness. And in doing it, it matched with my values. But when I actually got close enough to my heart to where I had made mistakes and where I really could offer more apology more perspective, or when I got close to other people's mistakes and it was my turn to offer forgiveness I watched how much anxiety there was there. So it's taken some time for me to unpack um, the actual uh, heart that I have versus the ideal. The ideal is I would be very forgiving, and I would go quickly to make amends if I had made a mistake. That's my values. But then you get actual temple on an actual day when he makes a mistake and then feels shame or defensiveness. and so. There may be uh, many of me, but there are at least two of me. (laughs) One has uh, very ideal values, and one's an actual human being who struggles with uh, uh, keeping his heart open and oriented. So when we come to forgiving people, there are a couple of things to, to feel into. And one of them is, why wouldn't we forgive somebody? And I, and I think that we need to kind of look at why are why are we holding on to resentments? Because it's part of what wise forgiveness looks like. It's not just giving somebody a blank check to have hurt you and then like, "Yeah, I completely forgive you." In a way, there's not necessarily a learning in that. So some of what why I don't forgive people is that I'm afraid that. Um, No one will learn from that experience, and so they'll do it again. So part of my holding on to the resentment is still looking for a chance for justice around something that really felt unjust. And if I go too quickly into forgiveness, I'm letting somebody off the hook. So then what I've learned to uncouple is that my resentment is not the same as my need for justice or my need for accountability that I can hold on to the healthy need for accountability and for people to learn uh, from mistakes they've made and blind spots they have, myself included. But I don't need resentment to, to hold that harm. I don't have to um, preserve the memory in painful resentment. But that's what my mind is doing. So if I can actually say, I'll keep the accountability but I want to hold it differently. And I want to hold that as a love of the relationship, a repair of the relationship, an integrity in the relationship. That's why I actually want some accountability. But I don't need to hold it with resentment. Because that's actually really toxic for me to, to hold decades of resentment, hoping one day that I can use that resentment to, to strike a blow for justice. And all those people who teased me in grade school that I've Stalking on Facebook, <laughs> hoping that there's going to be some opportunity somewhere. But you know, I went to my 30 year high school reunion, and those people are long gone. They're now 30 years older and they're wiser, and they have forgotten all the things that I want to hold them a- to, accountable to. And so I tried to investigate a few, like, you remember when? Like, no. And, and then they would say, aren't you a Buddhist who lives in the moment? I'm like, yeah, I am, but I'm like a sensitive human being as well. And I remember that, just how kind of cruel the teasing was. But then I think back on it, and I also, I also teased. I also took shots at people because it lifted me a little bit or some kind of like twisted humor around it. So those high school students are long gone. And now there's some older, balder, heavier, middle-aged people who are actually a lot wiser than they were. And I can't even get at the people I'm trying to hold accountable anymore because they've evaporated. Yet I'm still holding this burn inside because that's how I'm going to make sure people don't treat me unjustly. But I can do that another way. I can do that out of self-respect and self-love, and say, no, that's actually not OK for you to treat me badly. But I don't have to empower myself with anger or resentment. One of my, uh, my, my family um, holds resentments, but one family member is really good at it. And I've decided to stop referring to which family member that is, <laughs> in case they ever hear one of these talks. And when I ask this family member if they would forgive people they're angry with, immediately they say, absolutely not. And this is now like 30 years after the fact. And they are actually polishing and strengthening and reviving the hurt so that that's how they hold um, the injustice. But they live with this constant pain that they're constantly having to refurbish and strengthen just in case they would forget they were resentful. So I look at that and I was like, I don't want to do that. I know the consequences of that. It's actually not that empowering. And it means that you're burning inside from very old events. So when you go into forgiveness practice, it's not giving anybody a blank check to have treated you badly. But there's another way to hold accountability with self-respect and self-dignity, with belief in the relationship, wanting somebody to step into their, um, their beautiful heart that might one day ask for an apology. But if you hold somebody in resentment, it tends not to lead to them uh, transforming that much. It tends to make them fearful and defensive. So as a strategy, it doesn't really work much. It hurts while you're doing it to hold resentments. And it doesn't actually lead to accountability. It doesn't really lead to much mending. Um, Yet if you tell somebody, that really hurt what you said, I would like to do a repair on the relationship, that's the best invitation you can actually invite somebody in to participate in reflecting on mistakes that were made. So that's a much better strategy. So you can keep the accountability But when we go to forgiveness, we're letting go of the pained attitude, the, the painful stance, the contraction of heart around ways that pain has happened, mistakes have happened, cause pain. If I'm having a difficult time forgiving somebody, chances are I don't really understand why they did what they did. So I just had a chance to meet um, a relative um, who knew about my grandmother in the way that my mother never knew her. She was my grandmother's sister's daughter. And she told me a lot about my grandmother, that uh, she lost a nine-month-old baby um, to pneumonia. And her sister died um, of uh, some type of ailment when she was quite young, and that Both of those losses really broke her, and she became an alcoholic. And I never had a compassionate story around my grandmother, so I was always a little like, why did you have to be so cruel to your children? Why wasn't there more love or more forgiveness? And then I started hearing about all the things she went through, the Great Depression and other things, and losing a child. And then through that understanding, I was like, "Wow." I can now see why you were who you were and you did your best. By the time I understand anybody, I usually can forgive them that much better. Which means that if I can't forgive somebody, chances are I don't really know their story. That's something I've proven to myself over time. So if I'm struggling to forgive somebody, I try to imagine that they have done their best through their life, and they probably have had hard uh, circumstances, which is why they uh, li- they had bad behavior. And that's been true for me. I've tried my best. And I'm even trying my best, I've been tired or afraid or resentful or triggered, I've been hangry and taken it out on people. So I've made mistakes I have to allow myself to have made mistakes. Other people have made mistakes. And some mistakes are quite grave. Some mistakes are quite... <coughs> abusive. So that may not be where you start your forgiveness practice. When we get into it, um, there's a there's sort of a, a way of, it's nice to have a little bit of a ritual. Uh, there's a language that we've come up with. And so when we ask for forgiveness, we either offer it fully or as much as we can right now. And that's what ends up being gentle on your heart, not forcing your heart to forgive if it doesn't feel right. There will be a timing for that. That's healthy. So if you turn to forgive somebody, but your heart contracts, don't try to pry it open to saying, I'm, I'm intending to forgive you. I'm trying my best. And yet, right now, my heart can't go there. And that's as much as we can do. That feel That's as much as we can authentically do. So please allow that uh, limit of your heart and don't force it to forgive. But we can invite it to forgive. We can invite it to let go of the burdens it's holding, the pain that it's holding, usually wanting some type of justice or protection around harm. So with that said, it's helpful if you find a posture that allows your body to be at ease. And if your sitting posture is giving you pain, you might again switch to a chair or sit for a little bit, allow yourself to stand. But it's hard to actually go into forgiveness while you're also struggling uh, with body pain. So as a kindness to your body, find a posture that allows it to be still and at ease and relax. And then within that relaxation, sit up just a little bit, just to invite yourself to be relaxed, yet still upright and dignified, sort of upright ease. We do the same for our hearts and our minds. We offer them a chance to relax into the ease of the present, the flow of simple present time experiences, the breath, body sensations and the sounds. From this place of relative ease, relative safety, and relaxation, I want you to open up to your current life. And if you scan through the last week or last month, last couple of months, See if you can find a time where you might have made a mistake, you might have said something or done something that caused difficulty for somebody, made them fearful, they felt insulted, they didn't feel like uh, you gave them the right amount of consideration. It might have been more clearly a harsh thing to say that you said in a moment of anger. If if you find something that's completely overwhelming, it's not the best place to start. So you want to sort of survey What words or actions have I done that were not considerate, that were harsh, that had a painful impact on someone I live with, some friends or someone in my community, someone at work? Just take a patient moment or two to breathe in and out, aware of that memory of that incident. Acknowledge what you're actually feeling, maybe some defensiveness, maybe a little embarrassment or shame. And part of the repair of the relationship is to ask for forgiveness. So this is the language we use when we're really intentionally guiding ourselves through forgiveness. If I have hurt you, knowingly or unknowingly, through thought, word, or deed, I ask for forgiveness, either fully or as much as you can right now. If I've hurt you, knowingly or unknowingly, in thought, word, or deed, I ask for forgiveness, either fully or as much as you can right now. trade-off of the defenselessness is opening back up to respect, opening back up to the care you would probably rather offer beings around you. You can lend yourself some compassion. You might understand the circumstances. You were triggered. You were tired. You were stressed for other reasons. And yet something was said or done. that cause harm or pain in another being. You want to acknowledge that and ask that being for forgiveness. I've shortened this to just, I love you, I care about you, and I'm sorry. Again, I want to give you permission that if you're trying this and it doesn't feel right to honor that and not force this upon yourself. And yet, at other times, it's a relief to head towards mending a relationship, acknowledging a harm done. asking for forgiveness. But you now, to consider your own self-relationship, you might find at times there's the feeling of there being two of you. One part of you is trying your best, and has values of kindness and consideration. And yet how you relate to yourself at times fall short. You can be hard on yourself, critical, stern, and rejecting, disappointed in yourself. You can have internal dialogue that's cruel or harsh or mean. And you can undertake actions that hurt yourself. So you can also practice self-forgiveness, either the short form, which is, I love you, I care about you, and I'm sorry. You could say that towards yourself. that sentiment that either you forgive yourself fully or as much as you can right now, depending on how open your heart can be toward yourself. I love myself completely. I care about myself completely. And I forgive myself as much as I can. then turning your heart to do a survey of where someone has harmed you. Again, I wouldn't go to the most intense form of betrayal or harm unless it feels like the right time to do that. And see if you can find a symbolic event where somebody caused you harm or pain, fear. Someone really attacked your self-worth, caused you emotional pain or physical pain. While remembering the pain that was caused, you might say, if you have hurt me, knowingly or unknowingly, through thought, word, or deed, I offer forgiveness, either fully or as much as I can right now. I will still hold you accountable, and there are other repairs that might have to happen. But I offer you forgiveness, either fully or as much as I can right now. Forgiving someone doesn't mean you lose healthy boundaries. It just means you don't need pain and resentment and fear to be how you hold your boundaries. And then globally, you might say, I let go of all my resentments, all the ways my heart is holding on to past wrongs in a painful way, either fully or as much as I can right now. I walk forward with less resentment. And while you're concluding this meditation, you might come back to a sense of your body in this room and your breathing and the safety and the ease that you're actually in right now. You're allowed to let go of all the thoughts and the images, the intention of forgiving, and reattune yourself to the flow of present time experiences, the flow of sounds, the flow of body sensations, the flow of your breath in and out. And later on in the day, or the evening, or tomorrow, or some other time, you might find that your heart, again, is interested in conscious forgiveness, healthy forgiveness. It still maintains healthy boundaries and accountability, but wants to learn how to do those without the pain of fear and resentment. So you can do that as you see fit, either now, a little later on, or much further on in the future. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit